0: Hello, my name is Plumetti, and this is Practicality in Spirituality, and today we're going to speak about a topic that is very important, and that's Pan-Africanism, which is political, and African spirituality, which is spiritual, and how those two might actually be a lot closer than the popular narrative um, is said to believe. And this is what I'm excited to talk about with you guys today. For a long time, spirituality and politics have been seen as two opposite sides of the coin, and this is for multiple historical reasons, um, especially here in the West. And unfortunately, the West does dictate a lot of like the narrative in the, in the world conversation, and. Um, in the west when you look at europe you see that um there was a division between the religion and the state right because they all used to be christians then they went through that whole tyrannical whole thing they realized that you know what science is actually the way that we should be leading forward we should be using religion um as the way to like guide and organize the people <clears throat> so it became this like religion versus state thing and you still see the echo of that to this day you still see it in especially in like the spiritual community and even in the political community you see this kind of like kind of like um kind of like a, putting their nose up kind of like at each other you know what i'm saying you kind of see this kind of like the spiritual people are like oh yeah like politics is good but like that's not really how you solve the answers and then the politicians are like yeah religion is good and spirituality is cool but like that's you don't get anything done with that you can't get anything done with that you can't organize the people with that and they fail to see how closely related they actually are specifically speaking for africans for us mass organization has always been the way that we actually attain real um liberation and liberation not just on economic level but on a spiritual level oh, i'm sorry on a spiritual level on a political level um from all the atrocities that have happened to us and that is still happening to all of us across the african diaspora to this day so the the thing that i really want to speak about because what i've noticed in society is that there seems to be this split between both sides where it's like on one side you have spiritual people who will tell you that um the intellect is powerful it's great but it's only level one and when you get to the higher levels that's when you get to the spiritual truths and that's where you should really be staying and then when you talk to the political people the more left brain people they're like spirituality is good and you know it's good for your for your mind and you know it helps you with like Having a sense of peace and stuff, but like you can't really use it for like organizing and putting the people together. Da 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 All this left brain stuff. And <clears throat> to me, it just kind of reminds me of uh, <laughs> in spirituality. If you think spirituality, it's like in even in spirituality and politics, you have the left hand and the right hand. In spirituality, you have the left hand of God and the right hand of God, right? So the right hand of God is those who attain spiritual enlightenment through joy, pleasure, um, community, people, like they, they attain um, through the senses, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then the left hand is people who gain um, spiritual awakening through pain, suffering, discipline, um, maturity through time, you know what I'm saying? That's the left hand. Both of them are going to the same place. They're all coming back to source. They're all coming back to what people call God. Right. Well, they're all coming back to that. But it's just different paths. That's spirituality. On the political level, <laughs> you have the liberals and then you have the the conservatives. Right. So it's like it's the exact same thing. It's so like you see that notion that runs in over and over and over and over again of like this duality within Earth of like left hand, right hand and it's powerful because i understand the the unity concept that both sides kind of have because as humans we we all understand that we are one species and that ultimately we are one so it's like the real marriage between both sides has to be from a place of respect i was talking to a friend of mine who is uh he's, he's a physicist and i was talking to him and i was like the thing about um spirituality and science is that for us to be able to actually be able to engage in real meaningful conversations and discoveries, we both have to genuinely respect each other. What does that mean? That means that if I, as a spiritual person, have to think and explain things in a scientific way for a scientist to respect my spirituality and the downloads that I'm getting from my ancestors, from God, from, from, from all these, from my guides, then you don't really respect me in my ways. You don't acknowledge that there's wisdom in there. You don't acknowledge that there's actually things of benefits to not only yourself but like to humanity as well. On the same side, spiritual people, if we on our side don't resp- only re- uh, if we if we expect scientists to have to be completely spiritual for us to acknowledge what they're saying, for us to acknowledge um, some of the discoveries that they've made, then we don't respect them either. Right. So like, that's the, 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 the duality understanding is that for people to come together, you must actually respect each other's both sides. You must be able to go, Oh, wow. As a spiritual person, I can see like the benefits of science. I see what it's doing for yourself and for humanity and the discoveries. And I see why you choose to have this path. I may not necessarily, have, um, it may not be the path for me, but i see why you do it and i see how it's a benefit and i see how it's it's a good to humanity and not a negative i'm saying obviously there can be negatives but we can both point both sides can point at each other and show the negatives so let's not do that like but you can see the benefit right same thing the scientist has to do the same thing. the scientist has to be able to see the spiritual person and go oh okay within you there's actually benefits to being spiritual there's Insights and all of these other things, there's like, there's benefits to being spiritual. So now I say this to say why. When both sides actually are able to respect each other and come together, politics and African spirituality, in in this case, then so much can get done because we absolutely need both. We absolutely need both. We absolutely need both. The ludicrous idea that you can like that the, the spiritual people are going to start a spiritual revolution without it leading to a political revolution is ridiculous. And the notion that you're going to start a political revolution and that doesn't lead to some sort of spiritual revolution is also ridiculous as well. You know what I'm saying? Like not everyone, like especially African people, we are not atheists. Like we're, we're not Russia. We're not the USSR. We're like, we can be like, we can be Marxist and be like, Oh, you know what? Let's be atheists. Like Africans are not atheists. We are believers. We are believers. So because we're believers, for us, and this is what Nkrumism says. Kwame Nkrumah says, um, in his theory, because Europeans have Marxism, which is all about socialism for the Europeans. Africans, we have Nkrumism because it's based on us. Like you know, Karl Marx was not thinking about Africans when he was writing his manifesto on capitalism. So. When I I, I say this to say this, when both sides, the political and the African side can come together, we can actually start seeing how fundamentally like we are chasing the same goal. We are literally chasing the same goal ever since I learned about socialism, ever since I learned about like Pan-Africanism, ever since I learned about it. When I listen to like spiritual people talk about the fifth dimension and what humanity is heading towards to it and and i'm like y'all are all describing socialism you guys are completely absolutely describing socialism like and it's like it's just it's just like it's like crazy and then like when you go to like the political people and you hear like they talk about like socialism and other, for example for the Pan Africans we listen to the Pan Africans and you talk about socialism and all these stuff like that and it's like that that's exactly what the spiritual people are talking about less work like all oh, more time in nature like like oh, that's the same stuff. That the spiritual people are talking about you're just putting it in political like um language and spiritual people are talking about what the political people are talking about they're just putting it in spiritual language we're speaking different languages but we're saying the same thing you're saying it in french i'm saying it in german we're saying the exact same thing and once we can start realizing this once we can start sitting down with this That's when we can actually get to a place of being able to be like, oh, wow, our unity is powerful. Our unity can actually liberate all of humanity, like for real, like not for play, like for real. We can actually do it. And history, history is a great way to see how we've done it before. So I'm not about to tell you about something that. Is a possibility. I'm about to tell you something that is a tradition, especially for African people. It is a tradition of ours for us to marry politics and spirituality. Why? 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 Because African spirituality, which is for us as Africans, is just spirituality, is the bedrock of our morality, our principles, and our ideologies. That is the precipice that sets for our political laws and policies. The morality and all of what you what a society believes is right, what is not right, how people should interact with each other. That's politics and the notion of how people should interact with each other. Like Ubuntu. Ubuntu is a perfect example of the marriage of, uh, of politics and spirituality. Because Ubuntu says, I am who I am because of you, and you are who you are because of me. What does that notion describe? On the spiritual side, it understands that we are one, spiritual aspect. In spiritual language, we are one. In political language, it's an action. I am who I am because of you, and you are who you are because of me. So I cannot hurt you because I am you, and you cannot hurt me because I am me. You cannot exploit me because I am you, and you cannot exploit me because you are me. You know what I'm saying? So in, so this is one of the very ways that you can start understanding um, how... Pan-Africanism and, and spirituality, African spirituality, have always been one. Historically speaking, it's always been one. Now, people will ask, wait a minute, how can Pan-Africanism always been one? And how can Af- Pan-Africanism and African spirituality always be a part of, like, um, African um, history if Pan-Africanism has only been around for, like, 100, 123 years? That makes no sense. It's like, well, that's because the average person thinks that Pan-Africanism is a reaction to colonialism. Like Europeans came over, attacked us, and the reaction to that is Pan-Africanism. That's absolutely wrong. And that's wrong and because of something known as social evolutionary patterns. So, the Honorable Kwame Ture talked a little bit about this in his lectures, but... Um, he put it in a, in a in a different type of context. I'm going to break it down in a way that I think that just makes a whole lot of sense um, for all of us. It, it, his way was fantastic. I think it's, it's going to be probably way better than how I'm going to be able to explain it, but I'm going to try my best. Um, the social evolutionary pattern of humans goes from family to community to clan to society to nation to continent. That means that we as human beings, if we look at from... A Western scientist's point of view, they say that one of the beliefs is that like there was like 64 Homo sapiens sapiens, right? Because there's four stages of human evolution before we get to us. What we call humans are Homo sapiens sapiens. So not Homo sapiens, we're the Homo sapiens sapiens. So when you get to us, it's like you have at that point, let's say we start in South Africa where they say that humanity started from, so to say, right? So so you start with 64 people, right? In those 64 people, those 64 people all start out as a family. Then that family, obviously like not all 64 people are like one family, right? It starts out as like two, three, four different families, 64 people. So like, let's say it's like four families, right? Starts out as four families. Those four families will eventually create a community because they understand that out here in nature, Us coming together gives us more chance to survive, right? So they would start a community. And then from that community, that community over time grows and evolves. And eventually that community becomes a clan, right? And eventually that clan, as it grows and, you know, they spread out. They don't just stay in South Africa. They grow. The kingdom grows and explores. People travel, you know, they travel, they travel, they grow. And, you know, as they grow, it goes from clan to society, And then you start having different societies. Now you have a society in South Africa. Now you have a society in Zambia. You have a society. I'm saying like they start growing. It starts growing into different societies because the population grows. Obviously, we're talking through thousands of years, right? So they grow eventually from community to a clan. Clans become like the Bushongo people, the Congo people, the, the Fulani people. Those are clans. Those are clans, right? So... Then you get into like societies; those are kingdoms. You know the the kingdom of Congo, the the Benin Kingdom. You know what I'm saying like those are kingdoms; those are societies. And then you go from societies. And eventually, the people keep growing, keep growing, keep evolving, keep innovating, keep organizing, keep keep organizing together. Eventually, you get a nation, and that's what we call a country. You know what I'm saying that's when all of the people of the mass of that place have come together, organized enough, and like you know are like. There's enough population size that they're able to be a nation because, again, a nation is not just a bunch of people together, because if there's a bunch of people and they don't know each other and they don't care about each other, they're just all doing their own thing, there is no country. There's no identification. Right. But it's the fact that they're underneath one government. Right. That then all those people are like, oh, OK, for example, I am a Kenyan. OK, I'm Kenyan. Why am I Kenyan? Because. I'm part of the tradition of this land. I am with these people. I've learned these ways. I have I eat this certain type of food. All of this stuff was developed. It was developed from, <coughs> excuse me, back in the days when your ancestors were clans and you live in the society, right? So every single generation, this is why Africans practice ancestral veneration, is because we understand that every single generation before you um, set the, the precipice for who you are. So for example, family created the uh, precipice for community. You can't have a community without family. So we venerate the ancestors because those who are part of a community are able to be there because their ancestors started families. Clans are thankful to communities because you can't have a clan without your ancestors building community. Same thing with society. Society our societies are thankful to their ancestors who built clans because you need big clans to come together to build a society your ancestors who built a country are very thankful because your ancestors who built societies came together and built one unified society and that's a nation then that nation when it grows to the maximum, becomes a continent. That's how you can get South African people who spread all over and we become what? We become Africans. Why are we Africans? Because we understand that on a continental level, we are all one. We're all one family. That level of consciousness has to evolve there because you have to understand that. Think about it. You're 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 born from nature, right? You're the first people, you're born from nature. You don't know anything. You don't know astrology, you don't know you don't know none of that stuff. You don't know none of that. There's no schools, there's no lecture halls, there's not none of that stuff. You're starting from scratch, 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 like super scratch. No clothes, no shoes, like super scratch. You're starting from scratch. From you to be able to go from that all the way to be able to understand even the idea of what an African is. Like, if you were to go to your ancestors all those hundreds of thousands of years ago in the beginning in South Africa and go, you're an African, they would go, what is that? Because the notion is too big. It's, it's, an under, it's not understandable because they haven't explored. Your ancestors haven't explored all of the continent yet. So it's like. They don't even know South Africa yet. They don't even, it's not even called South Africa. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not calling it that because that's the name that the Europeans called South Africa. So it's like all those notions, like, (laughs) it's like they would not understand. They could not understand the idea of a con, of like a people identifying with a continent because they haven't explored the continent yet. So that is to say this to say that. Pan-Africanism has always been a natural evolutionary cycle of um, all people. It's not just uh, of of African people. But it's it's just to say that like pan-unity, like people coming together as one, is done in every single society. For example, in Europe, you have the European Union, right? Why do you have the European Union? Because they follow the same social evolutionary pattern. How do Chinese people have, like you have Pan-Asianism how do the arabs have pan arabism why do you have all of these things because they follow the same social evolutionary patterns that every humans like humanity humans this is not this is objective this is not this is not feeling based this is objective like the social evolutionary patterns of humans is that we go from family to community to clan society to nation to continents that's how we evolve towards to because we understand that we are one whether that is consciously or unconsciously we understand that we are one and as we grow we organize more we organize more and those different types of organization patterns because every single one of these things i talked about are organizations. a family is an org is a type of organization it's a t- A community is a type of organization. It's just that nowadays, because of capitalism, when we think of organization, we think of a business. But a family is a business. The first business is for families. You know what I'm saying? That's why we have mom and pop shops. So we have to understand that these different type of organizations are natural evolutionary organizations. Pan-Africanism is just the final organization because it's about the total unification of Africa. One continent, one currency, one passport for all Africans, all across the African diaspora. So, Kenyans would be able to travel to Chad. Chadians would be able to travel to Gambia. Gambia people would be able to travel to South Africa. All of these different places. Like we would be able to do that because we are one, solidified supercontinent this would be one solidified supercontinent and that's naturally going to happen because that is the social evolutionary pattern. slavery slavery interrupted that natural evolutionary pattern. that's what happened so we stuck at nation so the evolutionary pattern is again it's from family to community to clan to society to nation we got to nation we were about to go from nation to continent which is what like the european union and stuff like that that's 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 continent wide that's all europeans understanding hey we're all europeans let's all click together right like make sure that we can travel through each other's borders no problem because we're all europeans same thing with africans we were headed towards their naturally developed wing towards their and then we got halted by slavery. It came in the middle of that and stopped and put a wedge in there. It was like, ah, oh, nope, 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 no time for evolution. we going to slave you for the next four 400, or 500 400 years. And then that stopped the innovation because Africans were innovating multiple things, which is the second thing that I'm going to talk about. People don't know the innovations that Africans have contributed to humanity. They know little bits of it. And because they don't know these things, they don't understand how much Africa was actually giving to the world. So if you take then, for example, Africa gave to the world monotheism, the belief in one God. That's that's that. Okay, I'm going to put that in a way. How how. Powerful that is. Okay, most the belief in most places in the world was in polytheism. So like in in multiple gods. The idea of monotheism is so powerful, be because ah, I'll explain this. Ideas are are powerful, but for people for like to get a, a lot of humans to to, to to see the notion in your idea. It's not just because you are fantastic. It's not just because of the person. It has to be the idea. Who cares how great Gordon Ramsay is? I care about the food Gordon Ramsay makes. Like, it's not about the person, right? So it's the idea. So the idea of monotheism was such a powerful and popular idea because it understood what we understand as spiritual people. Because, again, all of humanity, we are spiritual beings. It made us understand on a soul level that, oh, this is a notion that makes sense because we are all one. We all came from one. We came from source. So it resonated with us across culture, across ethnicities, across boundaries. And Africans were the ones to give that to the world because we developed it ourselves. Uh, Egyptians are a good example of it just in a popular or the what are known as the Chemites. The Chemites. The Chemites. We're a more, our popular version explaining that, you know, you have like the Medinet Terus, which is an explanation of, of much deeper things. But Africa also gave to the world Judaism. Christianity comes from Africa. Ethiopia is actually one of the oldest practitioners of Christianity in the world. So we gave Judaism to the world. We also gave science to the world. What does that mean? Science is the natural observation of nature, of the observable universe. So as Africans, we are the first people. We started with nothing. Everything that we learned to do comes from nature. We are absolutely hands down the first scientists. It's, it's illogical to try to explain how anybody else before us could be the first scientist. Because everything we did comes from observing nature, which is what scientists do. So, we were the first scientists. And also at the same time, we obviously, because we're the first scientists, also developed the first schools. A good example of that is Timbuktu University. So, you can go ahead and Google Timbuktu University and you'll see it's one of the oldest schools in in human history. So, how did African spirituality come to be? This is very important to explain this because, again, the whole notion that I'm trying to explain again is that Pan-Africanism. And African spirituality, politics and spirituality are not enemies. They're not dual beings that have to stay on separate borders. These two people want the same thing. And because they speak different languages, they think they don't want the same thing. But they absolutely, absolutely have the same overall objective. It might be different in methodology. It might be different in like how you... um go about it you know i'm saying like you might want to take like the left street one person want to take the right street one person wants to take a go through the roundabout the person wants to go through the toll road but at the end of the day you guys both want to end up in the same destination and that's liberation for humanity rising of a consciousness we want the consciousness of the people to rise For our Pan-Africans, that's very important for us. That's why we teach political education, because we want the consciousness of the people to rise, because we understand that when you are politically aware, you make better political uh, decisions. Those political decisions allow you to vote for better laws. Those better laws make your life better, because your life is good and tolerable, and a lot of stuff that you don't have to deal with is because there's laws. If you're an African. And you're not enslaved right now, that's because there's laws in place to make sure that you're not enslaved. Not because people have compassion and see that this is the right thing to do. No, there are laws to make sure that you are not enslaved. That's politics, that's a good thing. On the other side, spiritual people also have many things to give to the world. So, for example, if you're suffering from depression, Politics is not the best, it's not like the best route to help you with that, but spiritual people can actually help you not only understand why you have depression, help you with your depression, but also help you cultivate a sense of peace that will make sure that you never manifest depression, and very carefully how I say this, but like not never manifest depression again, but um, know how to confront it if it was to ever rear its head again. And that's powerful. That's necessary. That's absolutely necessary. That's very necessary. Both of the things are necessary. So that is why I'm I'm explaining all of these things so that people can come to that understanding that we both need each other and that one is not above the other. One is not above the other. If spiritual people start talking about this, talk about how nah, the spiritual is more important, man. It's like, if I focus on my intentions, then it'll help the world. And it's like, no. Like, if political people start being like, well, spiritual people, who cares? It doesn't really do anything. It's like, both of you guys will fail. You will absolutely fail. You will absolutely fail. Humanity will not unite together. You need both. You need both. You need both, especially for African people. Excuse me. So, now, what is African spirituality, right? Um, specifically more, how did African spirituality come to be? African spirituality came to be, like I said, from nature, from the observation of nature, right? So let's use Egypt as a great example. Again, the Chemites, but the Egyptians is their Greek names. Um, but let's call them Egyptians because people understand, uh, can make a direct correlation when we say Egyptians, but their names is the Chemites. The, the, this is the land of Chemek. So, African spirituality in Egypt was understood through the, ne, med, med, the medu netter. So the medu are the aspects of God, meaning that they are the branches of the whole. So take your hand for example. Just look at your hand. Your hand has five fingers in it. What you call your hand is made up. Of all your five fingers, the middle portion all come together. That's your hand. If your fingers are gone, you don't consider it your hands. And if it's just your fingers, you don't consider it your hand. All of your hand together, fingers included, make up your hand, right? But what do your fingers do? Your fingers do, they're just aspects of, because if you look at your hand, inside your hand, you see that there are tendons inside that are controlling your fingers. So, what's really controlling your fingers? It's not the outside forces of your fingers that's controlling your fingers. It's the muscles and bones inside your hand that's controlling your fingers. So, your fingers are extensions of the will of the bones and muscle tissues inside your hand. So, same thing with African spirituality the meduneters are the aspects of the will, the individual will aspects the multidimensional uh personification of god because again because africans understood and invent and and understood and discovered i should say discovered because you cannot invent monotheism like um because they um discovered monotheism they realized that um that god is one and that everything that we are seeing is aspects of God, because God is multi dimensional, God is multi nature, and that is where African spirituality came to be. It came from that discovery of looking at nature and seeing the multiples expressions of nature, seeing the multi dimensionality of nature, and seeing how, despite all this variation, it still has one cyclical nature. One cyclical nature, you can look at nature and see so much diversity and then when you zoom out it's always one you look at anything in nature any kingdom in nature you can look at the multi-complexity of it and you can always zoom out and see how it's all one and that's where ancestors understood the concept of monotheism so this is important because i want to uh, explain how now that belief ran into how african societies in pre-colonial times so before the europeans came in before slavery happened when we were just developing naturally on our social evolutionary pattern right When we're just developing naturally doing our own thing by ourselves what was happening what did our societies look like this is very important because a lot of us especially for my generation and older generations um we don't really kind of know. We don't, right? Because obviously, like, you know, that that was a long time ago, 400 years, 500 years ago. So that was a long time ago. A lot of the people who were there to actually be able to tell us genuinely are gone, right? So we have a lot of historical records on this. One of the records I'm actually going to read you, one of the records I'm actually going to read you is from the, from the, from the Congo people, actually. Um, This is a report, actually, that was done in 1957. This was a report done by a man named Dr. Morris Siegel. He was a professor of anthropology at Columbia University in 1957. So just keep in mind that this is in 1957. Um, And he made a lot of discoveries that I think were very powerful. So I'm going to read just a little bit where he talked about. So he says talks about the case of the Bushongo people. Which were an extraordinary group of tribes inhabiting the present day of Belgian Congo, because Congo was underneath um, uh, imperial rule by the Belgians at that point in 1957, right? So, the Bushongo developed for centuries an advanced, complex type of political organization, which fell under only under the harsh impact of European invasion late in the 19th century. These tribes repeatedly gave birth to outstanding leaders who instituted and carried out the constructive policies that made the Bushongo a great nation. Perhaps the most outstanding among them was Bolongo, a king who was reigned about 16 AD and epitomized the essential spirit and character of the Bushongo people. Now this part right here is very, very important. When Europeans first encountered the Bushongo people, a Bantu-speaking federation of 17 tribes living along the Kasai and Sankuru rivers of the Congo, they found a powerful nation. So there were tribes, again, going back to that social evolutionary pattern, there were tribes, but among those tribes had been enough tribes, because again, 17 tribes, and among them, they had been able to form a nation, the next evolutionary pattern of organization, um, which were the Bushongo people. Now, the thing to me that was the most important was um, so the Bushongo people had, um, according to the records, established something, uh, a kingdom of that, something kept account of something of 121 dynasties. 121 dynasties. This is in 1884, is the first contact that Europeans get with the Bushongo people. And when they meet them, they tell them that we go back as a people, 121 dynasties. That's just the Bushongo people. That's not Congolese people. That's so that, that's, that is an insane amount of time. That, that is an insane amount of organizational power. So what made this uh, Shamba Bolongo person very important is because I want to speak more about his, his politics. What I liked about this, man, was this. Spoke. Mm. So. Want to make sure. I get this part right. Okay, there we go. So, excuse me. I just wanted to make sure I got that part right. So. According to the text, what I like is now we're gonna speak about his political um, um, ideology and the way that the kingdom of the Bushongo nation nation was ran uh, pre-colonial time. This will help us understand a bit about how our ancestors always had a a powerful unity of spirituality. Well, I believe I personally believe that we always had powerful unity of African spirituality to politics as well. Um, So. According to the text, the king uh, theoretically governed, uh, the king governed an absolute monarch by the virtue of his descent into direct line from Chembe, who was the supreme deity of the nation. So I'm going to say that again. The king governed as an absolute monarch. Why? By the virtue of his descent in direct line from Chembe, who was the supreme deity of the nation. So the king was only allowed to be king by virtue of the fact that the people believe that he comes from the lineage of the supreme creator. That lets you know that the foundation of the politics, the, 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 the bedrock of the politics of African people have always been steeped in spirituality how you were chose so even elections have spiritual so for you to be elected think about that imagine how, when was the last time that you heard that a politician in africa was elected because a songoman chose them you don't hear about that when was the last time you heard about a politician in the west was elected because um Um, he was he is he's uh, he's spiritually aligned and his trackers are all flowing correctly like you don't hear about that because there is a division between politics and spirituality most definitely emphasized in the west uh but just all around the world you see that notion you see it a lot between both the spiritual community and the political community they both kind of look down on each other (laughs) um so What I like about this is, again, to prove that the king was only elected to be king because the people saw that he was a direct lineage. What does that mean? That means that he was aligned to spirits. It's like, okay, you're not in charge. You're the vessel because we're not following you. We're following God. And you just happen to be the vessel that God chose. That is steeped in both politics and spirituality because you are talking about a government right you're talking about a government so let's continue the text practically however the hierarchy officials performed the large part of governmental activities the king owned all the fields and held the exclusive rights to grant their abstract, their 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 use their usage succession to the throne descended in the female line because we were matrilineal people to the sons of the eldest sister in the royal family by age. The king's right to disinherit such of his successor as he chose, which made it possible for him to designate the next king, was qualified but the restriction forbidding him to go beyond the legitimate heirs. So the king could choose anybody that he wanted, but he had to choose from um, his actual sons or sons. And he was chosen through the women, because as African people, we were matrilineal people. Because again... We had a connection with nature and a real close connection with nature. We understood that the women ran the agriculture. The agriculture is the economy. The economy is based on the food. It's based on, on all the money comes from nature. All the resources comes from nature. And if the women are the ones who are out in nature collecting all these resources, then they best know what to do with those resources that's why we were matrilineal people and so one 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 i'm sorry that's one of the that's one of the many reasons why we were matrilineal people i shouldn't say that's the sole reason that's not the sole reason <laughs> but it's definitely one of the many reasons why african peoples can be found to be matrilineal all over africa including all the way to the tippy top of north africa with the kemites okay so this is the other part that i really liked about it as well is the hierarchy system in in the bushongo nation the government right the government had 118 officials a hundred this is highly organized this isn't just like people are like "Ah, i'm gonna do my thing over here i'm gonna do my thing over there i'm gonna do like no they're they're organized 118 officials and those 118 was distributed through seven categories and then there was a group of women functionaries as well so it wasn't just all men it was Also, women as well. It was, ah. So, um, the hierarchy of 118 officials was distributed through seven categories. And the group of women functionaries constituted an eighth of that 118. So, six officials held the highest rank, representing a group, probably the most powerful administrative body in the Bushongo political system. At the top was the prime minister who served in addition as the supreme judge and replaced the king when the latter was absent from office. The next four officials acted as representative of the nation's four provinces. The commander-in-chief of the army occupied the sixth highest office, and as part of his duties presided in court cases involving injuries inflicted by means of sharp instruments. A second category of officials included individuals charged with special administrative functions. The chief treasurer, for example, received all gifts or tributes offered to the king, while the other third treasurer exclusively collected funeral taxes. Funeral taxes Pre-colonial Africa, we already had funeral taxes. We already had taxations. So please don't tell them that. Don't let them fool you into thinking that Europeans invented taxes. We already had taxes. Another member of this group as well listed was the uh, the provincial heads. So I I could continue that text like for the next like five minutes and it goes on describes even more. But I say this to say that like people now understand what I'm saying when I'm saying that. For African people specifically, politics and spirituality have always been mixed together. They've always been mixed together. Even how the officials were appointed was done through spirituality. Like every, excuse me, every single thing in African culture is is steeped in African spirituality. Everything about African culture is steeped in African spirituality. And when we as a people can start recognizing that, then we will be able to get so much further ahead. In fact, one of the things that I love a lot is that a lot of Pan-Africans actually practice African spirituality. And African spirituality has actually helped um, political movements. It actually has helped political movements. And one of my favorite moments that I'm going to talk about is based on a revolution that is very underrated that it needs there needs to be more movies about this revolution because it's insane we need way more coverage on it but you know when we as african people own the institutions when we own the studios when we own the movie place then we will be able to tell these stories we'll be able to tell these stories and one of these great stories that we need to absolutely tell is of the haitian revolution The Haitian Revolution is such a powerful moment in African, African, African history. Haitian Revolution is not just some random country over there that has nothing to do with the Africans on the continent. No, every African and every single descendant of African people has nothing but thanks to give to the Haitians and the Haitian Revolution that they started because that revolution led to the chainsaw catalyst that allowed for us to have freedom that we have right now. The very freedom that you have right now as an African person, if you're a descendant of African people, you owe it to the Haitian Revolution. So, it's crazy that it's not more talked about, but when you read more about the Haitian Revolution, you'll quickly understand why it's not popular for Europeans to want to make movies about <laughs> about a bunch of African people revolting together and, you know, seeking freedom. It's not a narrative that's very popular to the imperialists who sit at the top. Um, so I want to speak specifically about a very important part of the haitian revolution which is the beginning again spirituality in in terms of politics is always at like the bedrock of politics for african people so for us based on the studies that i'm doing spirituality is kind of like hr in a company right so like we have an organization here at cto so in our in our organization our queen indy our queen ornella is our hr and she, in, if you put it from an African spiritual perspective, she is like the moral compass of CTO, right? So that's exactly kind of how African spirituality works, because that's what an HR does to a company. The HR is the one that makes sure that, you know, all the rules are being followed. If something happens to you at work, you get mistreated by a worker. Guess what you do? You go see the HR and the HR is the one that sits down and goes, you know What? This was a violation oh you know what it wasn't that big of a deal they get to they're the moral compass of the organization so it's the exact same thing with us as african people spirituality was always our moral compass it's where we started the initiations of politics like because in politics is the interaction between human beings right it's how human beings, the minute that you start talking about how human beings should interact and treat each other, you're talking about politics. So that in, in, in the notion of how you should treat each other, it's based in ideology. It's based in morality. If you believe that humans are terrible people and they, and they're, and you know they don't serve any purpose then your politics is going to reflect that it's going to reflect that you might want to you know be on some adolf hitler stuff because you think that humans aren't worth anything or a particular group of humans aren't worth anything you am saying so your your spiritual ideologies and your spiritual and your moral bedrock absolutely influences your political outtakes and the way that you're going to go out into the world and you know um try to organize and implement uh policies and laws and regulations it's going to be steeped in your beliefs your beliefs are very important that's what spirituality rules it rules beliefs so now i wanted to talk about this so in the beginning of the haitian revolution this this is the the date is back and forth some people say it's august 14th some people say it's august 22nd i kind of like august 14th but who knows We'll, we'll we'll We'll, we'll find out more as uh, I'm sure um, we would learn more and more about the past. More of these things will come out, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, so so far so far the popular notion that it was August 14th, 1791. And there's this man named Dutty Bookman. Dutty Bookman is such an important revolutionary and he needs to absolutely be studied. Because Dutty Bookman was a voodoo priest. He was a voodoo priest. He was a voodoo priest. But at the same time, he was also the president of like the ceremony. So like he was he was organizing people together through the voodoo ceremonies to set the, the Haitian people free. Again, so again, spirituality and politics all coming together. And when... In, um, in Dati Bookman and the priestess, Cecile Fatiman, who was the voodoo priest, who also resided at the voodoo ceremony, who helped this, this, the voodoo ceremony. The Haitians, before they started the Haitian Revolution, made a blood oath before they started the Haitian Revolution. And this is one of the things that I love the most about us because it shows how Pan-African we are. You have to remember that Haiti is a Pan-African country. It's made up of many, many like of African of African people from all over the African diaspora, uh, from all over the African continent. So Haiti is quite literally a Pan-African country. So Dutty Bookman, um, he was from Senegal, um, and he was brought over to Jamaica, uh, and then he was brought over to Haiti. So It's like it always kind of lets you know, again, that we have always as people since day one, since day one, have always married um, the natural evolution, the social evolution of like coming together as a continent, understanding that we are African people. African music is such a good example of that. No matter where you are in the world and if you're listening to African music, African artists will always talk about their place where they're from. But they will always rep Africa. They will always rep Africa. And that's for a reason. It's because the natural social evolutionary pattern after nation is continent. And the minute that we start unifying as a continent, you are now stepping into pan-Africanism. The total liberation of Africa underneath scientific socialism. Scientific socialism. Because capitalism, which was what the Europeans used to enslave us cannot be what's used to liberate us. It makes no sense, right? So back to Datsy Bookman. So we're at the ceremony and Datsy Bookman is there with Cecile Fatiman, who was the voodoo priestess. And again, he was organizing the Haitian peoples at these voodoo ceremonies because the Europeans underestimated voodoo. They were like, ah, they're just dancing together in a fire, whatever the heck. Ah." So they let them do their own thing. And they didn't, they didn't know what was going on. So Dati Bookman used that as an opportunity to be able to gather the people together and go, okay, all right, while well, we're here and we're doing these ceremonies. Let's find a way to get free, right? And he gave this speech on the night um, before the Haitian Revolution starts when they sacrificed an animal, a blood oath was taken, and dutty bookman says the following speech and uh, i'm gonna read it to you because i think it's very powerful um once again dutty bookman is the voodoo priest of um of the haitian people at this point he's a very popular figure so at this point dutty bookman gets up in the meeting while they're all planning this haitian revolution while they're also in the middle of a voodoo ceremony so it's like they're planning the revolution and they're also doing voodoo at the same time they're also practicing african spirituality at the same time and bookman says this god who made the sun who brings us light from above who raises the sea and who makes the storm rumble that god is there do you understand hiding in a cloud he watches us he sees all that the whites do the god of the whites push them to crime but he wants us to do good deeds but the god who is so good orders us to vengeance he will direct our hands and give us help throw away the image of the god of the whites who thirst for our tears Listen to the liberty that speaks in all our hearts. And to me, that's such a powerful, powerful statement, powerful statement. And a week later, um, the Haitians would go on to um, have over 18, 1800 plantations. In the they would destroy over 1800 plantation kill over a thousand slave masters and you know they they set themselves free they 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 started a revolution and set themselves free they liberated themselves and they would be the first the first nation to be completely to abolish slavery they were the first nation in the world to abolish slavery no one else no one else european african no one else spoke up and actually implemented a law that said that slavery is abolished it's illegal here meaning what meaning that for many many africans all over the african diaspora if you could somehow find your way to haiti you were free you were a free man you weren't a slave you were a free woman you weren't a slave that is so like they didn't have to do that the haitians could have been like only people who are free Is just the Haitians, but no, the Haitians said all Africans, all black, all black black and brown people, all African people across the diaspora, we abolish slavery for you guys. So if you guys come to our country here in Haiti, we the Haitians say that you will be a free man and woman. That set the catalyst for many events that would eventually lead to um, the freedom of the continent of Africa. Starting with Ghana, then, you know, Guinea, then, you know, Senegal, then Senegal, then Guinea, and all these different places, right? So, Datsy Bookman was a very important man, and the ceremony at the Bois of Caiman, which is what I'm talking about, if you want to do a little bit more research on this, it's called the ceremony of the Bois Caiman, Bois Caiman, spelled B-O-I-S space Caiman, C-A-I-M-A-N. Bois Caiman. And it's a powerful way to let us know once again that politics and spirituality have never been divided for us as African people. Never, ever, ever, ever. I gave you pre colonial examples of when we use African spirituality to rule our politics and run our politics. And I gave you pre colonial, I'm sorry, pro colonial. Like, uh, uh, when I showed you examples after colonialism and during, I'm sorry, during colonialism, I'm sorry, during colonialism of how we were still using African spirituality to liberate ourselves and to, you know, run our politics as well. So um, this is very important. I'm really glad that we all got to see these these two examples because this helps us now go into my next question. What is Pan-Africanism, Right. So I told you that Pan-Africanism is the total liberation and unification of Africa underneath scientific socialism. Now, that sentence sounds good, but what does that mean? Right. So I'm going to explain that really quickly. The total liberation. What does the total liberation mean? The total liberation means all African people. Not some African people, not the African people that we like, not the African people that we get along with. The total liberation means all African people. That means our Black, that means our African LGBTQ members, that means our African disabled members, that means our Africans who practice, who are Christians, our African Muslims, our African Christians. That means all African people. All, not some, not the ones we resonate with, all African people. That's total liberation. And unification of Africa. Unification means that underneath, for example, if you look at the African Union, the African Union is a fantastic example to show you in real time what Pan-Africanism looks like in Africa. up from a, from a political point of view what it looks like in front of us so you can just get a vision of it uh, because sometimes because pan-africanism is not here people can sometimes fail to see like they, they can't think of an image in their head like what what does that look like African Union is a great example of that the African Union has every single state of every single president of Africa. Come together and make decisions for africa right like what are we as african people going to do for ourselves how can we help ourselves how can we make sure that it's easier for us to travel among each other so why are we putting up these borders between each other that's dumb man why are we using these foreigners currencies when we could be using our own currencies no that's presidents from all the countries coming together and talking about the continent they're making decisions for the continent, right now whether those leaders are good people or not, we, we aren't there's that's neocolonialism i just want people to understand that i'm not endorsing neocolonialism we fully understand as pan-african people that there are corrupt leaders and that those leaders have been put in place by not the people so we we, we just want to make sure that like people understand that but the overall goal is what the african union is doing now which is getting all the presidents to sit down And start to talk about the continent, what we as African people are going to do, how we can make ourselves better, how we can make ourselves stronger, and how we can get a a, a platform on the world stage outside of just servitude, right? So Pan-Africanism is the total liberation, so all African people, and unification coming together, talking about the continent, empowering the continent of Africa underneath scientific socialism what does scientific socialism mean that means that what should be leading the political uh uh arena of socialism in africa the politics of africa should be reasoning reasoning not feelings and beliefs because different spiritual beliefs everybody has different spiritual beliefs some people are christians some people are muslims some people this and all of those different beliefs impact your politics like i said before like they will impact the political decisions that you're going to make and who you're going to align with all of those stuffs come from your belief so we as african as as pan-africans say it should be reasoning that should lead not your your belief it should be your reasoning like hey what's the right thing to do based on logic well, the right thing to do, based on logic, if we're really thinking, like actually, is okay. Well, we should feed all the people, that's logical, right? Why? Because all the people not only can we afford to feed all the people, we have the resources to feed the people, like, people are valuable and people make money. People are the people that run the society. We can't have a society without the people. So we should feed the people. That's logical. We should also house the people. That's logical. We should use things from a place of reasoning. And then socialism. Why is socialism important? Socialism is when you put the people over profit. Capitalism is when you put profit over the people. An example of that is in capitalism here in the, in, in the West, um, you have, for example, people um, who live um, um, who live in poverty, who are homeless. Something like five hundred and eighty thousand Americans um, are homeless, and also at the same time, America has something like seventeen million homes that are vacant, that are just empty houses. They're fully built, they're fully ready to be moved into, but nobody's moving them into because that would cost money to put that, to put a person in there. And underneath capitalism, that's not going to make you money. Doing the right thing is not going to make you money, so we don't do it. That's profit over people. Underneath socialism, let's take Cuba as an example. Cuba has almost a 0% homelessness. Like almost almost nobody in Cuba is homeless. Why? Because the state of Cuba, the government of Cuba, Make sure that every citizen has a home because they deserve a home. Because you, the society, are a society because of the people. The people is the government. The people is the corporation. The people is the farmer. The people is the construction worker. The people is the warehouse worker. The people are the actors. The people are the musician. The people make up the society. You cannot even have a government without the people socialism acknowledges this and henceforth allows us to make sure that the people have the means of production so that they can have a real say-so on how things should be distributed among the people so the government makes sure that All Cuban people have a home because that's the right thing to do. All Cuban people can feed themselves. That's the right thing to do. And they've been able to do a great job despite the fact that they're being sanctioned, despite the fact that they're having a blockade put on them so that the rest of the world can't give them food because of the United States, despite all the fact that they can't receive much help from the world, they're still able to do really, really well. Why? Because they're people-oriented. You understand that people make money and money doesn't make people. Money can't generate a person, but people can absolutely generate money. So Pan-Africanism understands that capitalism, profit, so the the, the extreme form of capitalism is imperialism. So colonialism, the transatlantic slave trade, all, that's all capitalism. It was all done for profit. They sold us for money. America was founded and created because of slavery. It was made from from profit, from pure labor, free labor. That's how that country became a superpower. It became a superpower because they stole from Africa. No Africa, no America. You understand what I'm saying now? So the liberation of Africa is the liberation of imperialism across the world across the world because a lot of the resources of europe a lot of the power that europe has now comes from africa and what they did through the transatlantic slave trade so pan-africanism says we cannot use their system which exploits their own people which abuses their own people as a system to help our people because we see that this system abuses their own people not even us african people. let's not even talk about how they're abusing us just capitalism in europe it doesn't work it doesn't work it crashes every five to ten years on the dot it exploits people there always needs to be poor people it creates individualism it's like it's not a good system that's working for the people but it's great for the people who just want to make money If you just want to make money and you don't care about how you make your money and you don't care how many people you got to screw over to make your money, then it's a fantastic system. But if you care about people, if you care about like, you know, you know, living life and discovering your purpose and finding out who you are and being able to relax and do and actually, you know, like do like be able to enjoy the bountifulness of this land, of this of this world then yeah capitalism is definitely not the system for you socialism is and as african people we are great innovators our african american brothers and sisters during all the suffering that they've gone through those through those 400 years still invented over 50,000 inventions over 50,000 that's insanity that lets you know Think about how much stuff we're inventing underneath that level of pressure. Imagine the stuff that we're inventing when we're thriving, when we're supported, when we're actually not always having to look after rent money because your house is paid, when you're not always chasing grocery money because you have grocery money. How, what, what are you inventing then? What are you, what what type of innovation are you making then? You know what I'm saying? It'll be way more than 50,000 inventions. It'll be way more than 50,000. So that is what we are saying. So Pan Africanism is the total liberation of of Af- the total liberation and unification of Africa underneath scientific socialism. All African people underneath one continent, Africa, underneath reasoning, science, reasoning for our politics to lead us, and then socialism, a system, an economic system that values people over profit because we understand that people make the money and it's not money that makes people african spirituality has always mixed multiple beliefs that's what i love about african spirituality um the caribbeans um the caribbeans are a great example of that if you look at like cuba haiti jamaica all these different places They have a mixture of ideas, and all of these have a mixture of beliefs, and those come from parts of it is, like, colonialism, and then parts of it is just natural, like, synergy, you know what I'm saying? Like, because beliefs tend to merge, right? And they tend to make branches. So like in Christianity, there's different branches of Christianity. In Hinduism, there's different branches of Hinduism. So too in African spirituality, there's different branches of African spirituality. And those branches are always tied by a pan-African belief. They all always learn from each other. So IFA, people who practice IFA also usually know or practice a little bit of um, of like voodoo and the people who practice voodoo might mess with the people who practice voodoo you know voodoo is benin it's that's it's on the continent voodoo is what the haitians and the people of new orleans practice which is a version of voodoo which would be people like Eshu, you know the original names but Eshu, for example in haiti would be called papa legba i'm saying so it, it it changed because of colonialism but we are still practicing generally the same kind of beliefs, just through different methodologies. But we all believe in monotheism. We all believe of in, in in coming together as a people. We believe in family. We believe in communalism. We believe in nature. We believe that nature is important, and our relationship to nature is important. All of these things are absolutely um like together. This they're they're synthetic. They're like they're all together. They're all together. So. We've always had a Pan-African basis for our spirituality. Like I said, the great example that I use is like music, right? So like in music, when you take an African artist, right? Any African, let's take Wizkid or Burner Boy. Burner Boy made an album. What was his album called? Like I think his latest one. It was called, no, the one that really blew up. I believe it was called African Giants, right? And let's take that notion, for example. Burner Boy is a Nigerian. Let's go back to that social evolutionary thing, right? If you are in the beginning of humanity, right? No schools, none of that. Very, very beginning of humanity. Understanding that you're on a continent is insane because that word hasn't been invented yet, among your people anyway, (laughs) in your language. Um, It hasn't been invented yet. You haven't traveled outside of your country yet. You don't even have a country. You don't even have a community yet. You're just getting into that. Like within your lifetime, you're gonna create a community, but like you're still a very long way evolutionary-wise as a people before you can even get to society. I'm saying you're a long way. So, so an African. So let's fast forward into the future. Beep, 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 all in the future, you now have Nigeria. That's a country. That's a nation, right? A nation, right? You have this artist, right? This this artist is from Nigeria. He's from this country. Now, naturally. If the belief system that capitalism puts us in, one of the propaganda that it says is that individualism is good. So Bernaboy should only care about himself in Nigeria and she'd only care about Nigeria. And you know, if there was no social evolutionary pattern, they would, would only stop at country. Hey, I'm Nigerian. I love Nigeria. That's it. But Bernaboy constantly, constantly mentions Africa. Why does he constantly mention Africa? Because he understands that Nigeria is in africa and that is a very um powerful no- piece of knowledge that like is taking um advantage of in our modern time because we live in a time where we went to school and we learned all these things and we don't understand that all of this stuff was developed by us this was a social evolutionary pattern like this this stuff was developed and it wasn't just like we came into being like we just showed up and we're like oh yeah boom, 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 boom. i'm an african yep this place is called this it's like we didn't know all that we had to create all that stuff so african musicians to me are a powerful example because no matter where they are in the world they will always rep where they're from i'm from mali i'm from senegal i'm from zimbabwe I'm from um, I'm from um, I'm from Egypt. I'm from wherever they are from the world. You know, what I'm saying I'm from Sudan. You know, what I'm saying like wherever they are from in the world, um, in Af- I'm sorry, in, in, in on the continent, um, they will always always say, "But I'm an African." A great example is Jay Huss. Jay Huss is a UK artist, and the UK is another great example. The UK has like the third highest population of like African people outside of the continent huge uh, african population you know because of colonialism a lot of africans escape over to europe to escape the uh, the war and poverty that colonialism um, the neocolonialism neo-colonialism is putting on their people so they come to europe huge population size and then also slavery and all that other stuff so he has a huge it has a huge population size of african people and when you look at uk music like music from london from uh, a lot of the africans will talk about like, yo, like I'm from UK, I'm from, I'm from, I'm from, I'm from, you know, I'm from this end, I'm from this end, I'm from this end, I'm from this end, end. but they will always mention that, but yeah, like I might be from like Topman, but I'm really from Senegal. Like, yeah, you know, I might be from like South London, but I'm really from Zimbabwe. Like, yeah, I might be from West side London, you know, but I'm really from, you know, Sudan. So that's very important. We as African people have always understood that the next step The next step isn't just us being individual countries. The next step on the evolutionary level is when we as African people can come together and unify as a continent. And the idea is already implemented in our mind thanks to powerful people like Marcus Gavi, Kwame Nkrumah, who was the first president of a free colonial country in Africa. It was now no longer a colonial country, became its own independent country. I'm saying so he set that precedence he created the African of uh, the African the, the African Union saying like well not the present day African Union Yeah, the, the present day African Union was created was created by Muammar Gaddafi um, but he created the first um, African Union um, and um, that's like that that's very important because you can always see within the hearts of African people is this desire for us to all come together as African people and unite uh, on a continental level, not just on a country level, not just on a spiritual level, but like on on a continent level and go, hey, at the end of the day, we are all Africans. Yes, you might be Muslim. Yes, you might practice a certain type of spirituality. Yes, you might be more rich than me or less money than me or any. At the end of the day, all the things that we have in common is that we are African people. We are connected by the continent. The continent is what connects all of us, despite the huge amount of diversity on all levels, from genetics, to social level, to class level, to all of those different varieties. All of that is connected to the fact that we are all connected to one continent. You can give up your nationality. You can take away your paper and go, I'm no longer Nigerian. I'd burn my passport. You can burn your paper in the UK and go, I'm no longer a British person. You can burn your paper um, in Canada as an African and be like, I'm no longer a Canadian. But you can never burn the fact that you are an African that will never be able to be burned away. Because if you take corn that is made in South America and you bring it to France, it's still South American corn. It's just in France. (laughs) so it's very important for us to understand um i hope you guys enjoyed this i hope that um you know um you guys learn from this and i hope that it resonates with you guys because this is very important for us as people to understand like even for myself even for myself like i have to take it in like kind of remind myself because i came to this notion of realizing that in the beginning of my spiritual journey I was very spiritual, very, very spiritual. I was terrible with the physical realm. I was so bad. If you talk to some of my friends who knew me beforehand, oh man, they got stories to tell you. Like I was way more spiritual, I was really less physical. Like, like doing things in the physical world was very difficult for me because I really didn't kind of know how to do the whole human society shit. A lot of it was just fake. I'm like, all of this shit is fake. Why are we doing this? Um, then as I got older. Um, I started learning why it's important um, to participate in the physical world because I understood that okay, if I'm a spiritual being and I've learned myself and you know I've gone through all that journey, I figure out who I am spiritually, boom, 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 boom. figure out who I am on a deeper level, blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. I've gone to that level. Now I'm like, okay, well, if I'm all these great things, da, 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 all of this stuff, and I'm also, I'm all of these things. Okay, why am I here? Why did I come here? Well, I must have came here for a reason. If I'm sent here, I must have came here for a reason. Well, what's that reason? Whatever that reason is, when I started on that path, it eventually through years, right? It took me like a good 12. I'm I'm on my 10 year now. I'm on my 10th year of starting my spiritual journey. So I'm just now starting to get to a level after 10 years of, of my spiritual uh, evolution to get to a point of like understanding that politics is a part of spirituality and spirituality is a part of politics like in the sense of like they're yin and yang they really are they work well so well for african people for african people it's it's powerful for us because in the past two three years is when i've really been developing my african consciousness because as a spiritual person you're beyond all of those all of that stuff is considered to be ego you know your nation and your family all of all of all of these titles and labels in spirituality is considered to be nothing but egos attachments um to things that are temporary and only here for an experience at best so because of that um i really didn't focus on any of these stuff and it was until very recently the past two three years through the pandemic and all of these things that have been happening on a higher level, um, politically speaking, that my political consciousness was awakened. And when I started becoming politically conscious, I had a different spiritual awakening. I had a political conscious. I had a political awakening. So I had a spiritual awakening first, and then I eventually ended up having a spiritual uh, political awakening. So that is what I am wishing on my brothers and sisters. So before I get out of here, how can African spirituality be used in a Pan-African way? You know, like how can African spirituality help politics? You know, because political people tend to be like, oh, what spirituality? Only Christianity can help me out. You know, especially in the West. So we as African people fail to see how African spirituality can absolutely help our communities all across the diaspora. When we begin to teach um. African spirituality to our communities across the African diaspora. Um, African spirituality teaches things on family, on diets, on not just food diet, but spiritual diets. It teaches you how to live um, with yourself. So psychology, like mental, like it teaches you so much things that are are good for your your quality of life. There we go. Your quality of life. If you don't have these things, can you still live life? Absolutely. But you'll live a certain quality of life. And African spirituality for us as African people has always been a way for us to tap into a higher quality of life. And higher quality does not mean more money, more Lamborghinis, more European stuff. That's not what I mean by higher quality. Higher quality means... A richer life, a life that you can savor the food, savor the friendships, savor the moments, a richer life, a life of fulfillment. That is a richer life. So African spirituality offers that to us. And we know this through historical precedents. We know this. We know this through history. We know this, that African spirituality has always been one of the things that made us such a mighty and powerful people. It took Europeans and the, the Arabs through the trans-Saharan slave trade, which is another slave trade that people don't talk about. It took them such a long time to conquer us because we are a powerful people. We are a powerful people. We are a powerful people. Don't ever be fooled into thinking that African people are passive people. We have been fighting and, re- and revolting against this colonialism and now neocolonialism, which is what we're facing now, since the very beginning. Since the minute that they got on our shore, all the way until now, we have been in a constant struggle. And guess what? We've been whooping their ass for the past four or five hundred years. Why? Because look at how we started out on boats to look at where we are now. Who has won? They didn't do that because they loved us. They didn't free us. They didn't free us. They didn't free us. It's very important to understand. They didn't wake up in the morning and have a day of compassion where they were like, oh, man, you know what's the right thing to do? It would be the freedom. That's not what happened. What happened is we freed ourselves. And consequently, it led them. Some of them, some Europeans, for example, some Europeans were abolitionists who understood that this is wrong. We shouldn't do this to these African people. We shouldn't do this to any people. This is wrong. Slavery is wrong. They were able to have a stronger case because of the fact that we had liberated ourselves, not because the Europeans spoke for us, made the other Europeans feel bad, and then they gave us laws. That's not what happened. We fought, bled for this, made sure that we had our own, made sure that these laws and institutions were passed, and then we and our children were able to get Freedom and prosperity and opportunities to actually do things in the world that's the history do not let them fool you into a white savior complex into an indian savior complex into any other people african people were freed and have always been freed by african people the world over since the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade since the beginning of the trans-saharan slave trade africans freed Africans nobody else nobody else so the second thing um which I think is very important this is where I'm going to close it on is that the ways that we can help each other the left hand and the right hand right the spiritual people and the political people um the African spiritualists and the pan-Africanists how we can help each other how I believe is excuse me Pan-Africans should join spiritual communities. They should join spiritual communities because a Pan-African would gain a lot of insight into, and they do, most Pan-Africans usually do, have a lot of insight into the beliefs of our people. And that helps you pass better laws because once you understand the cultural ways of your people the beliefs of your people, the ideologies of your people, then you can know what ways you can actually help serve your people instead of just finding ways to help serve yourself and your political needs and your political ideology. You can actually help the people tangibly because you see that, oh, how we do things over here based on these spiritual practices lets me know that, you know what? You know what's a law that we really need? All sangomans should be protected. How to be a Sangoman should be taught in certain schools. Or if somebody wants to become a Sangoman, they should be able to make sure that, you know, your house and your rent is free so that you can go and learn how to be a Sangoman because we need that. That's going to help us as a people. Boom. That happens because the Pan-Africans resided with the spiritual people in their communities. They talk with them. You had dialectics. You talked. You talk. When you don't talk with somebody, it's very easy to make assumptions about them it's very easy to go, this is how they probably are. This is what they probably do. Oh, I know that they probably do this. You don't know that person. You never hung out with their grandma. You never come over to their house. You don't know that person. You don't. You may know of them. You may have a little conversation with people in their community, but that doesn't mean that you know that person. So communication actually allows you through experience to be able to say, I know this person. And even then, you still don't know that person <laughs> because we as humans are learning who we are. And if one person does not know themselves, how can you know something that they do not know? Right now, don't don't get me wrong. You can absolutely know external things about them, but you can never know them on the inside. Um, so communication allows us to be able to know each other. And for them to also know themselves, again, it goes back to that Ubuntu, I am who I am because of you, and you are who you are because of me, right? So, Pan-Africans understand that, you know, or, or the, the, what I'm trying to say is that Pan-Africans should understand that we should join spiritual communities, and spiritual people should join Pan-African organizations. They should absolutely join any Pan-African organization. Any Pan-African organization, the one that resonates the most to you, the one that resonates the most to you, go join that Pan-African organization. There are many, 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 many Pan-African organizations all over the world. Pick one. Obviously, this is for people of African descent. So you have to be an African to join the Pan-African organization. So if you're not of African descent, then unfortunately, well, unfortunately, you just cannot join the organization. Um, it's not for you. It's not about you. Right. Like if Indians wanted reparations, I can fight with Indian people for them to get reparations, but the reparation is not going to me. It's not my my actual fight. It's not about me. I'm not Indian. Same thing. So it must be people of African descent, which I know to some spiritual people, they'll be like, that's ego. And it's like this <laughs> n- nationality does matter. Nationhood does matter. This is where political people Again, left hand, right hand, left brain, right brain. It's just, it's more of that stuff. And I believe that spiritual people should join Pan African organizations because once you are able to understand the politics, then you're able to go, oh, wow, okay. All of this stuff, like how, like all of this, the spiritual revolution. Is like how we can implement, because I ask people, spiritual people all the time, when they talk about like the 5D world or the 6D world that we'll be living in, I'm like, cool, how are we going to implement that? How is that going to be implemented? And usually it's always like, well, we're all going to wake up spiritually. And when we wake up spiritually, we'll just come together somehow magically. And we'll just come together. We'll just know what to do. We'll just like, we'll we'll be, our consciousness will be so high And we'll just like, we'll just know what to do. We'll just know what to do. Our consciousness will get really high and we'll just know what to do. We'll just know how to organize. We'll just know how to do, we'll just know how to do it. And it's like, yeah, that, that doesn't really kind of sound like you have a plan. That kind of sounds like you're hoping like that you have, that doesn't really sound like you have a plan. (laughs) Like it sounds like you have half of a plan and that's exactly what it is. Both sides have half of a plan. You know what I'm saying? Um, The Pan African is, it's difficult. I don't want to get into that. But, like, um, both sides have half of a plan, from my perspective. Spiritual people talk about the spiritual revolution, and that's fantastic. But to make sure that the spiritual revolution is actually something that your children can enjoy and your children's children can enjoy, it has to be passed into laws and policies. You cannot just hope that your children, children, children are all going to be fantastic spiritually awakened people because look at what you had to do to become a spiritually awakened person. It was a cultivation process, right? So that's the exact same thing. Your child will also have to go through a cultivation process regardless of the system that they live in so when you have laws that are passed because of the spiritual because of the spiritual revolution then your child can live in a world that actually reflects the image and beliefs of its ancestors of their ancestors and that's what's powerful and this is across the world at this point i'm not just talking about africa at this point i'm talking about across the world across the world No matter where you are in the world, whether you're in Europe, whether you're in the West, whether you're in India, whether you're in Brazil, whether you're in the UK, wherever you are in the world, like um, whether you're in South America, like wherever you are in the world, like it's important for you to understand as a spiritual person that you should um, understand politics, even if it's not, for example, for Europeans, you can join a socialist organization Go join a socialist organization. South Americans, go join a South American socialist organization. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, these things are important because as spiritual people, like I said, once again, you start able to understand that we as a people need to be able to give our beliefs and ideologies uh, uh, a 3D experience as well. It can't just be all in the heavens. That's why we have rituals, a spiritual. That's what the word spiritual is. It's spirit and ritual, right? Because we understand that there's two aspects that are necessary, the physical and the spiritual. Well, the physical and the spiritual on a collective level is spirituality and politics. That's spirit and ritual. And once we as spiritual people can start admitting that and we stop getting out of like you know we, we can just start admitting that and stop putting our nose ups at political people and political people start putting their nose up at us um we can actually start realizing that wow we do want the same thing we have the same goal we have the same ambition and um that's a powerful thing and for us as african people it's a really powerful thing because it allows us to go back to the way that we have always done things as a people naturally naturally not because of just tradition just naturally it's who we are and then we created that tradition so um i just wanted to say thank you so much for listening thank you so much for listening to this episode i hope it really resonates with you guys um i hope that you guys learned a lot from this um i certainly learned a lot just from doing the research so i could speak about this um and i really hope um in my heart to heart that people will actually go out and do these things and don't just like oh that was oh that's nice to know like no if you're a spiritual person and you're living in europe go join a socialist organization learn about socialism don't you don't just go learn go learn you can always leave if it doesn't resonate with you you can always leave it's not scary it's not like oh i'm trapped in this forever go learn about it you could learn a lot you can start being like oh wow same thing with um activists on the political level go sit down with some spiritual people interact with them you could learn a lot of stuff that's going to help you on a personal level that could actually help you to be better on the field on the grounds level with the people because we spiritual people are also part of the people you know so i really hope that um you know you guys take into action what i'm saying uh, more than just like keeping it in your head Um, but yeah um thank you guys so much I love all you guys. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening to Practicality and Spirituality. Bye.